the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, one and all. Happy Monday. Jimmy Sangenberger back with you. Here on News Talk 710-KNUS. Of course, our telephone number if you want to join into the festivities. It's 303-696-1971. You can also text into the show on the 710-KNUS app on your smartphone. Name in town, name in town. If you wish to, text in, please. And you can email me 24-7-365. A couple of ways to do that. One, log on to 710knus.com and go to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page. Of course, I host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 here on 710knus. And then, of course, there's my website, jimmysangenberger.com. There's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all ease all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is easy. So multiple ways to get in touch with yours truly. We have several things that we are going to get to today here on the program. And in the next segment, phones will be open again. 303-696-1971 is the telephone number. The anti-Semitism continues. Of course, we saw it on display at the Colorado Convention Center over the weekend with the so-called pro-Palestinian protesters. Let's call them what they are, pro-Hamas protesters, at the Jewish National Fund Conference. And they even shut down Denver Spear Boulevard outside of the global conference with more than 200 members of an activist group far-left activist group going on a march. Now, in New York City, there is, of course, ongoing anti-Semitism. An Israeli-owned deli called Goldie was surrounded by so-called protesters this weekend. So Goldie, Goldie, you can't Just the hatred, the hostility of all of this is just absolutely astonishing and disgusting. And that's something that we're continuing to see right here across the country. I mean, what is this guy? He's Israeli, the owner. But what does he have to do with anything, with Israeli policy or any of it? And by the way, it's actually Philadelphia. I said New York City. I meant Philadelphia. We're even seeing this kind of anti-Semitism, of course, in the halls of Congress. And that's what you seem to keep getting from members of the so-called progressive left. The progressive caucus 
in the U.S. House is spearheaded by Representative Pramila Jayapal, who, gosh, I mean, she is going after Israel every which way. Here's a little taste of an interview she had yesterday with Dana Bash on CNN. With respect, I was just asking about the, the women, and you turned it back to Israel. I'm asking you about Hamas. In fact, I already answered your question, Dana. I, I said it's horrific, and okay. I think that rape is horrific, sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. Mm -hmm. However, I think we have to be balanced about bringing in the outrages against Palestinians. Yeah. 15,000 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli airstrikes, three-quarters of whom and it's, are women and children. And it's horrible, but you're, you don't see Israeli soldiers raping um, Well, Dana, I think women. we're not, we're not, I, I don't want this to be the hierarchy of oppression. This happens in war. Oh, I don't want this to be the hierarchy of oppression. That's rich coming from one of these progressives. Keith Nobles is a longtime former military intelligence contractor, particularly in the last decade of the Cold War. He's the author of the novel Our Dogs Did Not Bark, a politically incorrect dystopian tale. And he's starting work on a new one. Keith Nobles returns to 710 KNUS. Keith, good afternoon. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. So I got another Jayapal clip I want to get your reaction to, but what do you make of what you just heard? Let's not make this about the hierarchy of oppression, Keith. But if she had no false equivalency, she would have no equivalencies at all. That's all she's trying to do is justify and rationalize the inhumane behavior of Hamas by making false equivalencies to Israel. And that's as simple as it is. Um, she said she claims 15,000 Palestinians have been killed, but the source of that number is Hamas, and Hamas is unwilling to do anything to validate that number. Um, I mean, I think most people assume that number is greatly inflated, and I think every rational person understands Israel is doing everything reasonable to avoid civilian casualties. What do you make of the argument, oh, well, we—, we... Maybe we can't trust Hamas, but we can't trust Israel's numbers either. Uh, well, it doesn't really matter because back to her false claim that this is not a hierarchy of oppression, when that is exactly what she embraces. Yeah, it's not a competition, right? I mean, we know we know what Hamas did eight weeks ago. Nobody doubts that. Nobody doubts they intentionally, deliberately, as a planned act of terrorism, not just murdered, but raped. Nobody doubts that they actually baked babies in ovens while they raped the baby's mother. Nobody doubts these things actually happened. And by the same token, only the most disingenuous people will assert that Israel is doing anything like that to, to Hamas or the Palestinians. They are not. Uh, not only that, Hamas is bragging about it. You have Hamas terrorists calling home to mom and dad talking about the Jews they killed. Like, th th there is no moral equivalency here, Keith. And yet, we'll go back to Jayapal in just a moment. Let's go to the vice president, who said the following in part in a speech this weekend. The United States is unequivocal. International humanitarian law must be respected. Too many innocent Palestinians have been killed. 
Frankly, the scale of civilian suffering and the images and videos coming from Gaza are devastating. As Israel pursues its military objectives in Gaza, we believe Israel must do more to protect innocent civilians. I just hearing this constant drumbeat from top American officials about how Israel must do more with regards to the civilians sort of undermines Israel's ability to wage this war, at least to an extent, doesn't it? Well, it does. Can I be politically incorrect here, Jimmy? Yes, you may. Okay, Harris and Biden are trying to appease the kill the Jews wing of the Democratic Party, and the kill the Jews wing of the Democratic Party has turned out to be much more numerous, prevalent, and loud than any of us ever imagined nine weeks ago. So go be, go be, you I mean, I don't know how many people were there, Keith, but that sounds like a heck of a lot of people right outside of a restaurant. So, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Biden and Harris understanding reelected. They need to have all the Democrats show up and vote for them. And right now there are a significant number of Democrats who do not like Biden and Harris, uh, what support they have given for Israel. I mean, I just don't think it's any – more complicated than that in what Biden and Harris have been saying as of late. They're, they're trying to placate those people who are violently anti-Semitic. Keith Nobles, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, because, yeah, I, I mean, at this point, I'm not saying there are not anti-Semitic Republicans, because there certainly are, but it's certainly not systemic like it obviously is in the Democratic Party at this time. Yeah, that's a sad but true statement, I think, as well. Keith Noble's our guest, longtime former military intelligence contractor. Let's go back to Jayapal on these moral equivalencies because she's even disputing that Hamas was responsible for originally breaking the ceasefire agreement that had been reached for the, I've been calling it a truce, for the release of hostages every couple of days. They were continuing this truce. And then Hamas, there was a terrorist attack inside Jerusalem, and the ceasefire ended. But here's Jayapal. You said it worked. Yes, there were hostages who were released. But it wasn't even an actual uh, hard ceasefire. They were just trying to get another day, and Hamas wouldn't comply. So what makes you think that Hamas would comply with a longer-term ceasefire. Well, I think this is all about negotiation. Qatar has been incredibly helpful here. It's not clear to me from the reporting um, who was to blame for. Uh, you don't for believe the, the U.S. the Biden uh, administration that Hamas? Well, I just think it's very complicated. Young women. I think it's very, very complicated. Um, it's it's not. We don't have all the information in front of us. Kate Nobles, your reaction? I mean, not even believing her own Democrat administration. Yeah, this is really simple, Jimmy. These people who are uh, feigning concern for the fate of the Palestinians, all they have to do is the obvious, call for Hamas to surrender. The war would end this afternoon. But they don't do that because their real goal here, and we see this with her trying to muddy the waters about who broke the ceasefire, but their goal here is not really concern for the Palestinian people. Their concern is to be able to harm Israel. I mean, this is ending this war is remarkably simple. If they truly cared about the Palestinian people, they would be calling for Hamas to surrender, to release all those hostages today, and to turn over everyone involved in the attack on Israel. But they won't call for that because that's really not what they care about. What they care about is is harming Israel.
That's that's the the root of this, and it comes down to her very own hierarchy of oppression. Mm. And they love on the left. They love throwing out that hierarchy of oppression, don't they? It's all about the oppression Olympics. Except now she suddenly doesn't want to talk about the hierarchy of oppression when it's not convenient for her. Go figure, uh, Keith. There's one other story that I wanted to ask you before we get to uh, funding measures in Washington D.C. Here's from the Washington Examiner. Iran intends to retaliate against Israel in response to an airstrike that killed two senior Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps generals in Syria on Saturday, according to a top diplomatic spokesman. Quote, no action against Iran, its interests or our advisory forces will go unanswered, Iranian Foreign Minister, uh, Foreign Affairs Ministry spokesman said Monday per an Iranian media outlet. Israel had bombarded Iranian forces in Syria throughout Tehran's intervention in the Syrian war in a bid to preempt Iranian threats to Israel from the northern border. The latest bombardment figures into a wider standoff between Israel's and Iran's proxies throughout the Middle East in the wake of the October 7th terrorist attack. Uh, And then... What happened was two Syrian fighters working with Hezbollah and two IRGC officers were killed in Israeli airstrikes in Hezbollah sites, according to the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights. Um, I'm telling you about this story. You hadn't heard about it. We talked off air. What do you make of this? I mean, it's (laughs) it's funny to hear, not in a real genuine funny way. But it's it's quite something to hear the Iranian regime say, we're going to retaliate against Israel. It won't go unanswered when their proxies have been slaughtering Jews and kidnapping them and holding them hostage. No, exactly. And it's important people to understand the IRGC does not answer to the Iranian government. It answers to the Mullahs. And people sometimes have a difficult time with this. There is a civil government of Iran. And there's a religious government of Iran. They're not the same things, and they don't always get along. But the RGC that is operating these proxies throughout North Africa, the Middle East, East Africa, answer to the Mullahs. They answer to the religious government of Iran. So uh, I'm sure Iran would like to do something to retaliate. I'm sure they will probably try to do something to retaliate. But it probably won't be at the same level of what they just lost. Just a few minutes left with our guest, longtime military intelligence contractor Keith Nobles. I want to turn to the funding measures that are in the U.S. Congress. Democrats want to bridge together funding for Israel and Ukraine. The Republicans are saying we want them separate and we want border security funding to be tied as a condition to Ukraine. And now... Reading from the Wall Street Journal here, the U.S. will be unable to continue providing weapons and equipment to Ukraine if Congress doesn't approve additional funding by the end of the year, the White House said on Monday, warning of devastating consequences on the battlefield if lawmakers fail to act. Uh, Your take, Keith, on the funding measures for both of these countries to support Israel and to support Ukraine. Well, we should pass them immediately. I mean, we talked some months ago, Jimmy. Uh, before Ukraine launched their summer offensive, that the United States was going to give Ukraine the opportunity to win this war. And if it failed, it was going to end in a negotiated settlement. And a negotiated settlement is certainly where it's headed. 
if we deprive Iran of the weapons they need, it puts them in a weaker position in regards to that negotiated settlement. It's just that simple. If you want to bring Russia to the table, you have to continue to arm Ukraine. And of course, Israel is perfectly capable of taking care of itself. If they need things, we should provide those things to them because what they're doing is right on so many different levels. We need to support it across the board. What about the concerns, though, regarding Ukraine, about accountability, about how the money is being spent and where it is going, that we have not been... Uh, at least the argument goes, tracking that nearly well enough to justify continued funding. Well, we probably have been tracking it well enough, but let's bring the war to an end and we have plenty of time to do the accounting and figure out what's what. When you say bring the war to the end, we were on this station when the war began almost now, uh, what, two two years ago. Yeah, well, uh, more than a year and a half ago. Which is, yeah, well, it'll be two years in a few months. And yeah. when we look at then, we didn't have any clue that it, Ukraine was going to last this long for two years almost. What do you make of that, though? And, and the idea, the, the other point that is raised by folks who oppose providing more funding for Ukraine is, oh, the United States is helping to prolong this war. And I'm listening to that. Yes, the U.S. is helping to prolong this war by giving Ukraine more of a fighting chance on a continual basis. No, exactly what's happening, Jimmy. I mean, when we were on the air when this war started, you and I, talking about Ukraine and Russia and the war that we thought at the time when we started was pending and the time we were done was reality. And at the time, I remember saying the best we could probably hope for from Ukraine was they would bloody Russia's nose. Well, they have... I was pleasantly wrong about that because Ukraine has done far more than bloody Russia's nose. They have destroyed Russia's professional army. And Russia having to come to the table to negotiate settlement, which they don't gain territory, is a defeat for Russia and Putin, a, a devastating defeat for all it's cost them to do this. So <clears throat> that's why it's important to arm Ukraine, not to perpetuate the war, but to bring the war to an end. That's that's really what's important here. Is that what's happening? I mean, it's hard to really tell from a distance if it really is. Is that what we're on the direction towards? And also, what about the contention? Ukraine is not a democracy anymore because they're forgoing elections, so on and so forth. Therefore, we shouldn't support Ukraine because the argument about supporting a democracy is null and void. Well, by the same rationale, you could say Britain and France should not have declared war in Germany in 1939 because Poland wasn't a democracy. It's not really the point, right? Um, the point here is what's in the best interest of the United States and what's in the best interest of the world. A couple of weeks ago, China said publicly they wanted a reproachment with the United States because China is bleeding badly. And um, there are several things we could see the United States extracting from China as part of that reproachment. One is that China would do their part to force Russia to come to the table and negotiate it into the war. And the other one is China would uh, abandon its support of Iran. Those are two entirely reasonable things for the United States to require for a a reproachment between the United States and China. China appears to badly and sincerely want this reproachment with the United States. And this is important. Yeah, it's it's striking to see as this all goes. Do you think Congress ends up providing additional support to both? Because there are a lot of Republicans who 
don't care to provide more funding for Ukraine right now? I think they, yeah, I think they end up doing that. Because if they don't and it goes badly in Ukraine, they will own it for the elections next year. I just want to remind folks as well, you and I have talked about this a bunch in past conversations on air, Keith Nobles, that one of the big indicators that this is a real big deal, that this is significant in terms of a U.S. support being needed for Ukraine is the fact that throughout the entirety of the Cold War, Sweden and Finland doggedly remained neutral with the Soviet Union right next door. Now that is no longer the case with the Soviet Union, nor is it the case that they want to remain neutral outside of, say, NATO, because, what, is is Finland in and Sweden still waiting on their application? Either way, it is noteworthy that not only is this the case, but also, as a friend of mine who is in Sweden noted, they're, the people generally, for the general Swede, are, quote, very ready to join, quite tired of the international BS. Go ahead. Yes. Quite tired of the international BS. Quite tired of uh, United States domestic politics becoming international BS. Yes, indeed. Keith Nobles, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you. Yo, thank you so much, Jimmy. Once again, Keith Nobles, longtime former military intelligence contractor, offering his perspective and insights. What are your thoughts? 303-696-1971. Should the U.S. continue providing support for Ukraine? Is that something Congress should pass? Do you agree with me and Keith that it is a necessity for some of the reasons that we touched on? Or do you dissent? Call in 303-696-1971. You can text in on the 710KNUS app on your smartphone as well. We're going to take a break. We've got lots more up ahead in this hour. Jimmy Sangenberger here with your News Talk 710KNUS. Grooving back. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. Early Merry Christmas. The Drifters with their tune, Santa Claus Got the Blues. Oh, no, no. Say it ain't so. Good to be with you. News Talk 710-KNUS. Thanks so much for joining us, being a part of the program. Our telephone number right now, we have full lines, 303-696-1971. My thanks again to former military intelligence contractor Keith Nobles for joining us, talking about the war in Gaza and the war in Ukraine and U.S. support. The U.S. government now saying that if Congress doesn't approve additional funding by the end of this year, then the U.S. will be unable to continue providing aid to Ukraine in their war to root out Russia. And there will be devastating consequences on the battlefield. What are your thoughts on this? Let's go to Nick in Denver first up. Afternoon, Nick. Thanks for taking my call. The one problem I have is that the um, we don't have an accurate accounting of where all this money has gone. I'm in principle in favor of helping the Ukrainians every which way we can, but let's have some accountability. We don't know where half this money is going. All, for all we know, it could end up in uh, Joe Biden's, uh, Hunter Biden's pocket. 
<laughs> well, I know you're serious about that piece, too, because where we got business dealings from Ukraine and China. We know all about that for Hunter. No, Nick, I, I agree with you that there needs to be more accountability. But I also recognize that in a war like this, having so much detail probably isn't very possible. So what I would like to see is striking a bit more of a balance. How can you make sure that you're tracking more of what's being done here, but we are ensuring at the same time that Ukraine is getting the resources and support that they need? Because as Keith Nobles and I were talking about, they weren't supposed to last nearly this long in the war against Russia, and yet here we are, and it's because of support from the U.S government and from other governments. So I think it's it's a balancing act, but maybe we're a little too lenient on the accountability pieces you're suggesting. Well, the, the, the big problem with this war, as any strategist will tell you, is the longer this war drags on, it favors Russia. Oh, no, definitely are... not, Nick. Absolutely not. Quite the opposite, because Russia is being forced to continue this war when Ukraine should have been shut down a year or more ago, and yet Ukraine is able to continue their their battle against Russia, weakening the Russian military. And, I mean, when you're a military that's invading and you're supposed to be able to just railroad the other side pretty quick and that's not happening and your morale is declining and your resources for your own country are thin— that creates more challenges for Russia than it does for Ukraine. Well, here's here's the, the the fly in the ointment. Russia has more resources than the Ukraine, and the Russians are used to just wearing down their opponents. There, the Russian armed forces have never been known for finesse. They they just wear you down, eventually, and they don't care about about casualties. They don't. Look at World War II. So, Nick, what happens then if the U.S. pulls the plug on support for Ukraine? Then that means that, okay, the end of the war comes, perhaps, but that means a Russian victory, does it not? Well, where are the, where, how much aid are the NATO allies giving? giving? I mean, after all, that, that war is right at their doorstep. Yeah, we, we should be. I don't know the percentage breakdown, but I do know, especially from having spoken with folks over in Eastern Europe, that they are providing a lot of support as well for Ukraine, because to them, this is literally an existential threat, which is why, again, you have Finland and Sweden saying, hey, we want to join into NATO. Nick, I got to run because I got uh, okay. other calls, Bye-bye. but uh, appreciate the call and your points. Listener texting in uh, Stephen Littleton. I agree. With caller Nick. Fair enough. All right. One line open 303 696 1971. Let's go to Lewis in Aurora. Afternoon, Lewis. Well, I'm glad you had a uh, Christmas jazz song on. There you I go. enjoyed that. Santa got the blues, <laughs> right, brother? Yeah. Yeah, listen, I agree with Nick. Uh, NATO, uh, these, po- these countries in, in Europe may be giving. Uh, aid, but I don't think it's enough. It, and to me, let's let's go down the line. Europe, you got to come up with more, much more than what we're doing, because it's at your back door. Also, why did Biden release sixteen billion dollars and only want to give fourteen billion to Israel? And before we give any more. To Ukraine, 
Let's do the border. Let's secure because you know what's happening down there. And terrorists has already entered our country. So that those are the things that I say, before we keep on funding Ukraine, let's take care of our border. Let's make sure that Europe is superseding what we're giving. And let's stand with Israel and give Israel more. I certainly agree with you on Israel. You know, I'm looking at a data point from the uh, Kiel Institute for the World Economy. I don't know much about them. I've seen them before. Uh, but they are laying out something interesting and some statistics. They show that U.S. support for Ukraine is uh, over, uh, th- that Europe's support for Ukraine is greater than the United States collectively from the EU institutions, only what they're providing is predominantly financial support, whereas the United States is predominantly providing military support, which makes sense in, in regards to providing weapons and materiel and so forth. So, I mean, and, and Europe's different in that you have to look at them collectively in terms of the support that they're giving because they're much smaller and most of their economies are dramatically smaller than the United States. So I think it is worth considering that. Okay, well, the, and the thing is, it looks like our economy is shrinking also. So let's hold back on a little bit of this money going to Ukraine. And why is Europe just supplying money? I mean, they got weapons. They got technology. uh, Germany is strong. In terms of military support, they got nothing compared to the United States in that regard. So they provide financial support. And then Ukraine can go ahead and buy weapons. I would think that's one of the big ways that they'd go about that. But, Lewis, I got to run. Appreciate the call. Let's keep it going. Lewis's line is open at 303-696-1971. Steve in Denver up next. What's going on, Steve? Hi, Jimmy. couple comments and want to get your reaction. I, I'm totally supportive of your positions on Ukraine and Israel. I think it's imperative that we support them both. Uh, the other quick point is you, the comment you gave last week when you explained to the caller about our long association and support for Israel and why we do it, it was excellent. Oh, so I here's, that. Here's, my, here's my question. The support... For Ukraine in this country is is dripping, is it, it's sinking, and I'm surprised by the international and, and reaction. Israel is not being as supported as much in this country and internationally as I as I thought it would be. So those are support for Ukraine and Israel. I'd just be interested in your thoughts. So on the one hand, for Ukraine, I think a big challenge with that is for the American people we've been providing support for well over a year and a half now. And there comes a point where Americans get weary of wars that are continuing and prolonged. We have experience with continued prolonged wars, two of them in this century alone. That means within a 20-year period. So that's understandable. But the other thing is that it can be hard for Americans these days to really grasp why is it so important. I don't mean this in a, in a condescending way at all. It's understandable. We're not in the Cold War anymore. So for Americans, it's not as visceral to get a recognition as to why it's important to bolster Ukraine to prevent Vladimir Putin from becoming, as he wants to be, the 21st century 
Peter the Great. And we know this from the citizens of the countries that are bordering Ukraine or right nearby. I've told the story many a time, and this is how I met the, the guy from Sweden that I mentioned in the last segment as well, that when when I was in Taiwan last year, I met journalists from the Czech Republic, from Bulgaria, from Sweden, from other countries who were deeply concerned about what was happening with Ukraine, fearful because they know what could happen. And yet for the American people, we're distanced from it. We're fatigued by it all. And we now have war over Israel uh, and Gaza that we are hashing out as well. Yep. Would you agree? Are you there? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree that uh, uh, Putin and and the leadership of the Soviet Union had the same Cold War mentality, if not worse? Yeah, I mean, very much so, uh, except I don't think that Putin fancies himself to restore the uh, Soviet Union. He looks at it from the perspective of the old Russian czarist empire. He wants to be a 21st century Peter the Great. But this guy is ex-KGB, so of course he's bringing that mindset to the table. That's for darn sure. Steve, I got to run. Great call. Thank you. I appreciate it. 303-696-1971. Let's squeeze in Samuel before we head on to the break. What's going on, Samuel? Yeah, the, there was agreements. Uh, they were, they were at the, the peace tables for that little sliver of Ukraine that speaks Russian. They all want to be Russian, that ethnic group. Let them have it. Let them have it. And on the on the table, say, hey, if you guys go any farther, then we will definitely support Ukraine again. But we're not going to give the guy, the comedian that plays the piano with his private parts any more money. OK, and we're going to close the damn border down and we're going to deport the damn illegal aliens. Samuel, I got to run. I appreciate you throwing out all those points. Let me just give a quick response and just say this. Number one, if you were to allow Russia to keep any territory, I think that would have to be the couple of regions that they had previously annexed. No expanded territory. They should not be rewarded for an unprovoked, intolerable invasion of a sovereign country like that. Number one. Number two, I don't care what kind of personal antics Zelensky has engaged in and so forth. This isn't about Vladimir Volodymyr, whatever his first name is, Zelensky. This is about Ukraine and the implications of Ukraine falling to Russia and what that means for Eastern Europe and Western Europe. And that is critical for the United States. You know, we have this talk of, of, we've heard it a little bit this afternoon, the sense that the United States... Is showing all sorts of support. Europe needs to step up. We need to pull back in the support. Imagine if we said that during the Cold War. Europe, you guys need to need to up the ante more than uh, you have been, and the United States is pulling back. Soviet Union might well be around today. That wall might not have collapsed had Ronald Reagan not come in and said, you know what, we have to be strong and bold. We have to end the evil empire. Now, this is a different circumstance, but there are corollaries in in this terms of the United States being able to and needing to show leadership and influence on the world stage. If we pull back from Europe, then 
they're not going to follow America's lead anymore. And then you'd really have Europe leading Biden, leading the the Obama-type mindset more than ever before, and also putting us in a position where you have Trump, you have Haley, you have DeSantis, any of them, where they're not able to guide and lead Europe toward achieving objectives that the United States needs. We, we can't just ignore our responsibilities in that regard. That said, I totally agree with Samuel that we need to secure the damn border. I think it's entirely reasonable to go in that direction, but I don't see what that has to do with Ukraine, the horse trading between the two. I want more funding, but I don't see the horse trading between the two. They're not the same issue by any stretch of the imagination. But more funding for the border, more funding for Ukraine, more funding for Israel, and let's continue the U.S. leadership in this way. But to the point of listeners earlier, let's also make sure we have greater accountability to the greatest extent possible. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. You're listening to a vibrant program here on News Talk 710 KNUS. Don't go anywhere. You know, we had this on Saturday as a bumper, and... We just didn't have enough time. More than like, what, like 20 seconds, Geronimo? Thank you, brother, for plugging this one in. The Eagles doing their version of Please Come Home for Christmas. As we wrap up and wind down the show today, I'm back in the saddle all this week from 3 to 4. Of course, Saturday mornings from 6 until 9. News Talk 710 KNUS. Listener text, Turkey wants to restore the Ottoman Empire. China wants to recreate the Chinese Empire. Russia wants to restore the Russian Empire. Venezuela wants to expand its borders. Have I forgotten any? Let's follow up text. Yes, I forgot. Iran wants to restore the Persian Empire. Well, okay. You're right. They all have those grandiose ambitions. And in most of those cases, delusions of grandeur to an extent. However, I would suggest that while Iran is a malignant actor that is trying to sow the seeds of chaos around the globe, and particularly in the Middle East and Northern Africa, they're not taking any actual steps to restore the Persian Empire and probably don't have any sense that they could actually do that. Same with Turkey. Venezuela's not going to be going around expanding its borders actively. Russia and China are different stories. Russia is already in Ukraine, and we know that Vladimir Putin for decades has said he wants to be the 21st century Peter the Great. So he's constantly doing this. Or constantly wants, rather, to expand beyond just Ukraine. Now, he's not the kind of do-or-die, destructive threat to the United States that many on the left were suggesting controlling our elections and this and that, 2016. But he certainly is a bad actor on the world stage who is aggressively pursuing an expansionist set of goals. As for China, what they tend to do is exert more of their economic influence around the globe, but they have their eyes set on Taiwan. So it really is coming down to those 
two. To those two. And I think we have to be clear-eyed about that, but also smart and strategic in how you address it. There are U.S. benefits to the Russian military being degraded, contrary to what listeners said earlier. And I appreciate the different views that came on in the last segment. We had several calls. Contrary, though, to the idea that the United States is providing too much support in in these ways and you know you Ukraine or Russia rather is is on the move but you know they, their military is going to be able to continue to degrade Ukraine like it's the other way around the longer Russia's there the longer the war goes on this is this is the point he was making the longer the war goes on the better it works out for Russia and i flatly disagree with that yes russia has more resources than ukraine but they have dramatically degrading morale they are expending countless resources on this war far more than expected when you invade a country, Russia knows this from the other side. How many countries invaded Russia only to find themselves bogged down and then unsuccessful? Russia knows this from a number of circumstances themselves. I think Afghanistan comes to mind. So the longer you're in a country, it's not a sign that you're in a better position when that country was supposed to collapse. Ukraine was never supposed to last this long. As Keith Noble said back when we first talked, it was give it months to just give Russia a bloody nose. And here we are now. So a lot more to it. Tomorrow we will talk economics with Danielle DiMartino Booth. She's excellent. Former Advisor to the Dallas Federal Reserve President will get the latest on what's happening with the Federal Reserve and their interest rate hikes and other ongoing economic issues. Are we on the verge of seeing some deflation, some decline in prices, cost of goods that we rely on? Is it going to get easier for us economically? We'll talk about that and more tomorrow afternoon. Be sure to tune in then from 3 until 4 and I'm in all week from that time as well. 303-696-1971 is the number you're going to call tomorrow. We want your participation. George is up in the morning. Have a great one, and may God bless America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.